0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A Licensed Football Coach, Coach Developer and Content Creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right, guys, welcome back to the Cultures Network. My name's Coach Yasset, and today I've got a special guest with me. My guest today is Steve Brown. Good morning, Steve. How are you?
2: Morning, yes, I'm good.
0: Not too bad, thank you. Good stuff. Steve, for those um, that maybe aren't familiar with who you are and the work that you've done in the past, would you mind just sharing a bit of that with us?
2: Yeah, well, I started football. Football sort of was always in my blood as a kid. Um, Playing from, from the age of eight, nine, I always played beyond my age group sort of thing. So I I just loved football was fortunate enough to live in a house where there was a garage at the bottom of the garden where they crossed the road. So we lived on a corner house and the two garages were opposite. So me and my brother just always played football and felt it was like there was always two goals. So there's always a target at the end of it. So we spent hours, years just out there perfecting our skills. So. Fortunate enough to get an opportunity going at Northampton on a trial. It was a, it was a big open trial and I went there at the start of the YTS. That was I was I was seventeen, I think I was sixteen. I would have been sorry, um, and did the did the trial. Got invited by a friend, Clifford McCoy. Never forget, old oh, Clifford! Every time I see him, I we always talk about that story. So he it was him who told me about it. He had the trial, invited me to come along. I went along, um, and then. Two trials later, I got offered a, a YTS there. So um, went into full-time football from, from college. Um, and it was tough because there was no, there was no, there was a youth program, but it was more like a part-time program. So every day we trained with with the pros, which was huge, huge. You know, pre-season, never trained at that intensity or that level ever in my life. So that was a big learning curve for it was a steep upwardly curve for all of us. I think there was there's four of us as apprentices, and we train with the pros every day. So yeah, spent my time at Northampton. There made my debut at 17, um, and three years later, having been there, I fell out of love with the game, and I just walked away. Just totally. I remember going to see the secretary and said, "Can you rip up my contract?" So ripped it up, and off I went. And I sat at home for probably about three months, and then I got a phone call from a guy called Dick Underwood. Um, Dick offered me a job, which, <laughs> strangely enough, paid me three times as much money then as I did, as I was earning as a professional footballer, which was kind of crazy, really. But I just didn't want to play football. <clears throat> and he accepted that for a while, but he'd run his own Sunday side and he was desperate. Um, he wanted me to play. So offering offering me the job was one thing, but he wanted me to play for his Sunday side. So I did that and um, I eventually did that. And then after that, he started, He started to enter us into the Sunday, the FA Sunday Cup, which is like the FA Cup for Sunday League Club. Uh, The first year we got to, I think we got to the second round. The following year we got to the final and the final was played at St James's Park, Newcastle. Uh, We beat the, we beat aside from Sunderland in the final 2-0 and Bobby Robson, uh, the England manager, was the host that day. So he gave me man of the match and he said to Dick, this lad shouldn't be playing Sunday League football. He's way too good. He should be playing professional football somewhere. Um, and fortunate for me, Dick had bought the Cobb, Northampton Town, he was, he was the owner. And then that summer I went back to Northampton and kicked on from there, stayed in the game, um, stayed there for six years. Then Martin O'Neill took me to, to Wickham for a club record fee. Um, and then I stayed there for the rest of my career. I stayed there and um, stayed there for 10 years, had a testimonial, left for six months, retired, and then came back as an assistant manager with John Gorman. Stayed there for three years. And then John was there for 15 months. And then uh, Paul Lambert came in, so I was assistant to Paul for, for a year. Um, then I left there, went to QPR as academy manager. John Gregory took me to QPR, which was a fantastic um, experience working with the kids in London. That, that, that's what really opened my eyes to youth development, working, working with the kids. I loved it, loved their enthusiasm, loved their drive. And, and trying to get them to realise the potential of how close they are to it and getting them to work out. That. And that's where I found my sort of vocation really, just working in, in youth development from that perspective. And um, I, I left QPR and then sort of worked part-time for Adidas and Everton at the same time in recruitment. Um, and, and then, and then I, I needed to work full-time. I felt the need to work full-time despite enjoying working for Everton and, and Adidas, a fantastic brand. Um, and then I, the, the opportunity came for me to um, work as an auditor in the EPP audits. And for me, the fascination of, of it was was the, the rules, the structure, the policy, the processes. Because we, we spent probably about six months training and understanding how the German clubs were structured, why they do things. And it was a real, real learning curve for me, real learning curve. i learned so much on that. And it was interesting then coming back and going through the audits and and going around the different clubs, you know, Liverpool, Fulham, um, Arsenal, just loads of loads of clubs, just so different with so much different ways of working and so much different ways of developing the kids. It was it was it was an eye-opener. I really enjoyed it. Learned so so much. I uh, did that for a cycle, so I was there for four years, and then the opportunity came to work at the FA, which I, I grabbed with two hands, and it was. It was a fantastic experience working at the FA, you know, recruiting the kids into the uh, 18s, 19s and 20s year group. It, was, it really was working with the coaches and identifying those players who could play at international level. Um, and we had some, we had to, I, I thought at the end of that first cycle of the UPP, I think youth development, the needle shifted. And actually there was some real top kids coming out of a lot of the clubs at the same time. Um, so England, there was a dearth of kids to pick from in England. Quite a lot, quite a lot. And um, it was great to, you know, win a World Cup, win a 2 line tournament and win an under-18 championship. It was was really, really good. And then the FA decided to go in a different direction, which was a bit disappointing. Uh, And they made, I think it was five of us redundant and changed the department. Uh, And then I sort of left and went to MK Dons for 18 months. Um, I did that before moving on to um, Arsenal, which is where I am now.
0: Oh, thank you for that, obviously, quite an in-depth, um, you know, you've almost crushed, what, maybe 20 years in less than 20 minutes, um, just just on that then, you know, you've you've had a range of roles moving both from a coaching perspective to recruitment, and obviously, uh, you know, as a coach developer as well, you know, in your time at, obviously, MK Don's, you know, what what was it about, well, first, I want to take you back to your journey as a player, you know, you three after those three years at Northampton, you know, you said you wanted to rip up your contract, and you know, what, what, what was? why did you fall out of love with the game at that point? What was it about?
2: <clears throat> that was the manager. That was the man, that's nothing more purely than the manager. The manager was, at the time, I felt um, he didn't treat people properly, didn't treat people with respect. He had his own ideas. It was his way or the highway. Um, and, and that's fine. That, that, that's fine. That's, that's how he was as a manager. Um, and that worked for so long. But I became disillusioned in the game from the fact that I played as a 7 year old I think I finished the season playing the last 13 games and scoring three goals. And he came in. There was a change. He came in, wanted to bring his own players in, which he very much did, uh, had his own style of playing. And I think I had a problem with my Achilles. I went to the doctor and the doctor said to stay off it for a couple of weeks. And I remember the manager coming in and having a pop at me saying I wasn't saying I was cheating, basically, you know, I was, I was faking training, faking an uh, injury to not train. And I was like, no, nah. and, and that was, that was one of many incidents. And I just thought, no, nah. I'm not, like, I don't need this. I'm betting this. And I didn't love the game because I wasn't playing. I wasn't playing. So I didn't, I didn't love the game at all. And I just thought, going out. I was a young kid. my mates were out there doing what they were doing and having fun and that. And I just thought, just go and have some, just go and have some fun, you know, to actually... I made me debut at 17 and then here I was at probably about 18, 18 and a half and it it just gone sour. And there was no sort of light at the end of the tunnel for me actually breaking in. And and I don't think I was mentally as tough to deal with that. I didn't think I had enough life experience, but at the same time I thought it was the right decision. I think I was mentally tough enough to make the right decision to think, walk away. You don't, you don't need this. And that's what I did.
0: Mm. Just to kind of build on that, then, obviously, you know, football's come a long way since then. Um, you know, you talked there about being 17, 18 at the time, which is only a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, football's, you know, it, it's moved so much since then. Uh, you talk about the needle moving in youth development. Um, there's been so many developments more from a... Initially from a technical standpoint, but just a holistic view in terms of we've got all these multiple disciplines that are now involved in the development of a player. What, what is it... You know, would you say that maybe you could have benefited from, from different avenues of support at the time as a young player?
2: Um, could I have benefited? Yeah, I, I think I could have massively because I, I felt I spent my whole football career, especially as a young kid, playing outside of my age group. Mm. I spent a lot a lot of my time playing outside of my age group. Very rarely did I play my own age group. And that's not because I'm not saying I, I was a, a better player, I just thought that's how football evolved. You know, I'll go back to um, the, the Jamaican community on a Sunday at a place called the Racecourse. They used to be 20 a side, and that ranged from kids of 12 to men of 18, 19, in their 20s. But people just played, and that's how it was. And that was just something that happened every Sunday, two o'clock on the Racecourse. Bang. If you wanted the game, that's where you went. And that just happened. So there was no... <clears throat> there was no... <clears throat> there was no rules around age. You can't play, you're too young. You can't play, you too old. You just play. Mm. And that was a, that was a, you know, you had to find your way in that. You had to look after yourself in that because people weren't holding back. And you do, you do learn quickly in that. And you, you know, you learn to shift the ball quickly. You learn to play on the after. You learn all those things really quickly mm. because you had to.
0: Just, just on that, you know, the, the, you talk about that, that sort of experience and it's something that I can definitely relate to growing up myself, you know, but those days are long gone aren't they and you know it's, it's just it's a shame really because there's so many different uh, I guess uh, strengths that can be developed through an, an experience like that or consistent experience like like you said you know having to deal with people of different ages and having just to kind of get on with it to an extent if you wanted to kind of fit in it was like get your head down and carry on because no one's going to hear you complain or anything like that and just having those little elements like I, I think back to when I was maybe nine ten eleven if I wasn't playing with my older brothers and I was playing with the local people in, in, in the area, and it would be like you said, some in the night, you know, their late teens, some in their early twenties, and you know, maybe mid to late twenties.
2: Yeah,
0: everyone's just playing the game, but you know that that element is gone now. And obviously, you've seen a massive transition in that. Not just as a maybe possibly as a, as a player, but more so now in the I guess the youth development space, working as a coach, obviously working in recruitment as a head of coach. And what would you say some of the biggest uh, changes that you've seen from a youth development perspective? in regards to the environment and i guess what would you say is maybe some of the things that they've potentially lost that were that were fantastic strengths of a a, i
2: guess i think some of the decision making's taken away i think some of that's taken away um you know i i I do think where we are now in youth development is 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 a great place i do is is it too sterile i don't know i don't know because actually it's i think youth development is, is is very very good in this country but i think where we where i think we sometimes fall down is actually how do we know when they're ready
0: mm.
2: it's like we it's like we spend the whole of their six to 18 23 whatever getting them ready for this this world but we can always say they're not ready we can always find a fault, say, no nah, it's not good to we don't it's like getting someone ready for an exam and we don't let them take the exam mm. there's got to be a point where you go go on then Back then, I think people were happy to throw people off into the first team. You know, where there was not money for the last, where, where the league finishes and people get money for placings, right? The last ten games of seasons, that's when young lads used to get thrown in because there was no money. There was no money for placings back then.
0: On that, then, do you think that there's a lot of a lot of that decision has been, or the, sh- the shifting of that decision making, or the or the-, the at least the thought process behind it has shifted a lot because of the development of the E P, the under twenty ones initially, and now it's obviously under twenty threes, and I guess the, the, the non existence now of the of what was then the youth t- uh, or reserve team program.
2: Yeah, I think I think that that's quite at some clubs that's quite separate the academy and the and and the, and the first team and the first team uh, environment is a is a is a great environment, and I think some of the valuable lessons like... So you can you can spend your life in the academy, um, and be and be. And be all the things and, and do all the things they do there but actually the moment you cross the threshold into the first team the whole thing changes because actually your, your behavior has to not your behavior doesn't have to change but actually there's different sort of values and how you carry yourself and training the, the expectations of the other pros in that training group what they expect from you and you've got to go up there and find your feet and I think that's a massive transition that you can't you can get people ready for that but until they actually go and do that you can't you can't just give them that experience they have to go and feel that it feels different for everybody some mm. it's it sort of challenging you in a way that from a, from a mental perspective everybody has that fear and vulnerability and that on a scale of whatever however wide that that scale is we all sit differently on that and going into those different situations people react differently or some people it don't bother other people are bag of nerves can't cope with it it's just a different experience so so for me I think you know that first team environment and transitioning out of that that's that's a big part of it. that's a big part of it
0: mm. and obviously as the years have kind of gone on you know like you you've had the experience of or the, the, the being able to see that journey change for a young player um not just at a club level but also at an international level you know you know doing your stuff with the FA would you mind just sharing a bit more insight around that role and what that what that looked like on a day day because obviously a large part of it is, is recruitment, is just going out and watching games, watching players. But maybe for those that don't, I guess, fully understand the depth of that role, especially in international capacity, would you mind sharing a bit of insight around that?
2: Yeah, I think the thing about the international one is like, <clears throat> how I saw it, we've got loads of, we've got a pool of different players. We've got a pool of so many talented players. Now, when I look at the international level, the prerequisite is, technically, you've got to be able to manage the ball. Physically, you've got to be able to get around the pitch and, and play the position um, from that perspective. Tactically, you've got to understand your position and, and, and where you need to be in relation to the ball and wherever the ball is on the park, defending in possession, out of possession. But I think ultimately the key ones are psychological stuff because it's best for your best. There's not, It's not like in a club scenario where you've got a left back, but is actually you're, you're you're managing that left back or you're developing that left back. It's best with best. The 11 best players for that country at that age are on the pitch, in, invariably. So it's about the ones who can cope with those big moments, actually dealing with going to playing qualifiers, understanding what it's about, um, progressing in, in, in major championships and getting to the latter stages. And actually, you know, the lads who won the Under-20 World Cup, you know, there's a... What was... That mentality of that group was, was was fascinating because they'd won the, um, the under seventeen championship as seventeen year old So, to, but that group made a pact. They agreed that they wanted to win a World Cup. So that group, the mainstay, that that group stayed throughout the whole of the pathway till they won the under twenty World Cup. So that that was fascinating. But I think it's the mentality. It's that mindset. It's that driven. It's that it's that that champion mentality to to. To go into all those scenarios and still perform. Mm. That's the difference. You know, I looked at some of you know, you looked at some of the young players who people spoke about as being the best in the world. You know, you watch them in European championships and you could see that they they're the standout players for their country. Nothing fazed them. Five years later, they're all playing in different leagues around the world as as regulars. You know, uh, Kingsley Common, I remember we we watched he played he played in a game for France where we didn't qualify, but he was the difference. He was the difference on the day, but his quality was there. He was head and shoulders above the rest of the French side. They brought him down to play in that. That was, he was playing outside of his age group, but they brought him down to play against England in that, in that tournament. So, so for me, it's about the mindset. It's about that champion mentality. It's about not, no, in adverse situations, they don't lose sight of what the, the, the challenge or the task is. They stay on task. And that's what I found about lots of players. I've ever seen Lewis Cook at 15 at Leeds when I did the audit. And I see Lewis Cook, and he was a standout player then. And he was playing out of his age group. I see Lewis Cook now, and Lewis Cook is exactly the same. That calm, that composure, that mindset. is—you it's, know—that's. I don't know how they develop that. Some people are just born with that and just cope with stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know how myself, having played, I, I don't think I ever had that. Some people might say, "Yeah, you did, you because you, you were like this." But actually, when I see it at that level, it's so different, so so different.
0: Just on that, then you talk. You done already? How, how maybe someone does develop that? Now, people would say that obviously people at the end of the the top athletes across all different sports, whatever sport you're in, would obviously have that element of mental strength. Uh, mental strength resilience you know be able to come, overcome adversity and, and all of that stuff there so I guess from your perspective as someone recruiting uh, individuals who are amongst the, amongst the talent pool for potentially become elite players what are some of the variables that you're looking for I guess within that because obviously especially from a, an external perspective you're not getting to necessarily see them day in day out in their club environments and how they train and the way they work at those environments you're only getting to see them once they come into you if that makes sense
2: yeah, I think what, <clears throat> in the role of England, you build up you build up a network of people at clubs who you speak to regular, You can ask those questions. You can get some sort of insight, but you you, you just never know until they come into the environment and you see them in the games and you see them in the environment and how they cope with it. Because at, when working at England, there's lots of things they probably do there that they don't do at clubs. You know, some of the um, I remember the, that under that under 20 group that won the World Cup. They they did stuff like um, set piece meetings and stuff like that, but they they were given the responsibility around stuff like that. <clears throat> so they so you know they were given the responsibility off the pitch and in the game. They took that responsibility, but they they were mentally ready for that. They could cope with that. You know Freddie Woodman, you know a, a goalkeeper so driven. I remember sitting on a plane next to him and he was reading this book um, Legacy about the All Blacks, and he'd read it three times and he'd highlighted different things and there was little notes in that. little things that he thought he could actually adopt into his own mindset and his own psyche and you know it's no no surprise he's he's having a great career and playing at Swansea currently and having a great season so so those sort of guys you can you can I could go over that whole squad and how they've all gone off and, and sort of been successful in their own right but but very calm humble kids to be honest and and you know with the world at their feet it's easy to get carried away but their mindset, their focus, their their love of the game was was so clear, so so clear.
0: Sure, and obviously, you know, you've got, you're have got talking about some of the things that you have witnessed in terms of their, I guess, behaviours, and obviously that it's almost that that element of the extra drive to be going to get those extra one percent for themselves you know, in in terms of that development. So I guess from 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 a talent development perspective or more recruitment perspective, what are some of the things that you'd say? if you was maybe devising a program similar to what you're doing now at Arsenal, what are some of the key indicators that you kind of, you're really trying to align the, align your staff with? Cause obviously then the other element is it in recruitment or just generally within coaching, it, it can be quite subjective. Obviously there is some key things that you're looking for as characteristics and some things that you, for instance, you touched on earlier, you, the mindset, someone might look at Steve Brown and say, well, Steve had the mindset, but you, you might not personally believe it yourself or, you know, and someone else might say, well, no, you definitely had that. And that can be quite a difficult thing at times. So, How do you, how do you now devise a program where, or a, a process where everyone is in sync with that and knowing and fully understanding and appreciating exactly what it is they're looking for without their, I guess their, their personal bias is impacting on that.
2: Yeah. you got to, you've got to go with the basic position profile to begin with. And what are the key things in that, in that positional profile? I.e., um let's talk about fullbacks, 1v1 defending. That's a real simple one. How how dogged are you? you you learn about someone in those situations? Is he getting is he getting is he having a hard time? Is the winger getting the better of him? How many times is he getting done? But does he stay on task? Does he keep going? Does he does he fight? I remember watching a game? It was um derby versus um Derby played Aston Villa and and Max Max, oh, what's his name? He was at Derby. I think he's now at Sheffield United, the left back. He was actually, he, he, he was having a torrid. The, the winger had him on toast, had him on toast. And But his, his actual body language and his facial expression didn't change. He worked it out. He worked it out that the bloke got the better him for the first 30 minutes. He worked it out, went and got tight, was happy to have the foot racing behind, but every time he got it, bang nicked it, driving away. So he he turned the tables, and I thought when I saw that, I, I learned a lot about Max because I thought he could easily have gone under. He could easily have gone under. They were losing the game. Uh, he was having a tough thirty minutes, and actually, he found he he found a, he worked it out. He found a way to overcome, and that's that resilience. That's that belief in his own ability, and not not allowing what had happened to him to to impact the rest of the game. He found us. So if I was watching him, I was thinking, he's not great at defending. But to see him work it out, his mental strength to work it out and then actually become the dominant one for the next 60 minutes, I was just, for me, he showed a lot of character, a lot of personality, a lot of tactical um, nous because he said to his mates in there, playing left-back, you deal with that in there, I need to look after this. He actually, you see him say that to you because actually that was the threat in the game. That one winger was the threat. So he nullified that and became the asset to his team. So just having that character, tactically, he knew what he had to do to go and change the flow of the game, the momentum of the game. He uh, Physically, he could cope with it and was prepared to do that, put his physical self on the line. And, you know, he had the confidence to, to then turn that situation around. That's, that's, that's a big thing. You know, I think football matches, what people forget is when you're in youth development, as soon as you get past that 18-year-old line, you're in men's football. Whether you like it or not, you're not gonna be playing against people your own age. You might be playing against an experienced winger and they go off on loan and, and stuff like that, and play against experience. That's where you you start learning that resilience. That's when that really starts to develop. Because when you come out of that youth football into mentor, football, you have to find a way. And and do you know something? Sometimes if if you can't cope with that, you haven't got that time. Mm. You might never get that opportunity again. Sometimes you get enough, sometimes opportunities come that players go in and play and then they find their feet away they go. But if you go in and you don't do well, that second chance might not come again for a while, for a while. So it's it's, it's just about having the, the belief in your own ability and looking at it from a positional uh, perspective. It's like a number eight. How often does he go box to box? And, and not a lot of midfielders like tracking runners. Mm. So that player who wants to track, when his man runs off him, he tracks him there. But then as soon as they the transition starts and we're attacking, he runs off that. And I just think little things like that, because actually people don't see running as a skill. It is a skill. Mm. It is a skill. The, the ability and the endurance to keep going and outrun someone. Because if you outrun somebody, you're always going to be able to create overloads and be in space and get on the ball, which is going to impact the game. So, you know, running is a, is a, is a strong part of the game for me.
0: You, you talked about running, you know, I think just generally, I guess a question I've got for you then, you know, it's been a work in recruitment over the years and, as a coach as well, not having seen so many changes in the youth development space, what's the major differences you see into the in the makeup of today's, uh, I guess, youth player coming through to maybe what what was there maybe ten years ago, you know, and even now we're seeing more specifically from a from an English perspective, we're seeing more of the younger players from this country starting to take more opportunities abroad. Why do you think that is?
2: well i think the, the, when you see us exporting a lot of players to germany that tells you a story because the germans think we've got well we've got the best development system in the world here in england we've created that and that's that's um that's a credit to, to the, the fa the premier league and and all those guys who sort of work around it especially the, the the clubs as well i mean the structure and the money gone into the game is huge now as i said we've we've created a, a fantastic cat 1 cat 2 cat 3 programs that that have that are just Great for development, but the opportunities don't match the, the investment. Mm. So there's a lot of investment in the in the um, in, in the game, but then how often? I remember at the FA um, there used to be a tracker, and it used to track how many English players played in the league each in the Premier League each week, um, and there was quite a lot. It's at the start of the season it was quite high, yeah. and that was always a, I don't know the trend was that at the start of the season a lot of them played. But as it, as it got down more and more to the business end, the numbers started to drop. Why that was, I, I don't know. Um, but that was always something we, we sort of looked at at the FA. We did. But then I think Germany appreciates what we're doing because probably their their system is not developing the players for the way the game's moving. Mm. But I, I do think, you know, those, our, play, our English players going abroad and playing, I think it's great. I think it's a real good um, thing for for us. I think the Brexit thing has made it even more prominent that because we can't bring players in until they've gone 18 that makes it more prominent that i think more english players will go abroad
0: Mm. so i guess on that then you know why do you think there's been such a, a reservation past for players to go and do that it's almost you know there's always seems to be this this entitlement or because we're from england we deserve to play in the premier league and we shouldn't have to go anywhere else almost kind of attitude at least that's what i've kind of observed anyway what are your thoughts on that
2: well, back in the back in the eighties, the likes of well, there was Keegan, there was Tony Woodcock, um, you know those players, Luther Blissett, those players that went abroad were seen, Gary Lineker was seen as pioneers, sort of thing. And you would have thought back then the trend would have would have would have grown, but it, it, you're right, it never did. But then maybe people, maybe it was probably the way our uh, youngsters or the development of football was in this country, how how the, how the Europeans saw it, because it's certainly changed now. Certainly changed, and I do think you know some of those clubs who have got partnerships with with various clubs, and those players go out, those young players go out there and spend season long loan. I think it's a great learning curve for them. I think it's great that they they they're playing. We've got a lot of English players playing in the top league abroad, like you know the Bundesliga. I think it's great.
0: So in terms, okay, so I guess question for now then is that to build on that, what would you say are the key variables uh, or attributes for a player to need to have to have to? A player would need for, to make it in today's modern game at the top level.
2: Well, you've got to have the technical ability. I think you've got to have the technical and physical ability to play in the Premier League. Um, I think you've also got to have the, the tactical nous as well, um, and, and that mindset. I think it's a mindset, the belief, the 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 mentality that even when you're down, it, you've got to you've got to keep going. You have to keep going. I, I just think that psychological drive, that, you know, your performance, your level of performance, players, players take more ownership around that now as well.
0: I, I, agree, I agree with what you're saying there. The question is, you know, linking back to something you said earlier, what something that can be developed? Now... Sorry, say it again. No. So I think, I think about what we said earlier, and I'm link linking back into what you said about, can the psychological aspect be developed? Can we develop some of those, those skills? And those, those are, I guess, attributes within a player. Um, now, some players show great signs of potential early on. Some obviously are late developers. When you're now looking at identifying a player, over what time frame do you observe that player? And how long do you give him before you say, he's not quite going to make this now?
2: Well, the thing about it, we've all got a different journey. We've all had a different journey. And, 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 and some of that journey is shaped by our own experiences. Mm. So, you know, me as a kid growing up, um, lived in a, grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment um, that was quite racist. That was quite uh, challenging. That was quite um, mentally tough, you know, Those things shaped me. Those things, I I think, those experiences as a young kid shape you because actually, you can't fight the world. You can't. You can't react to everything as much as you want to um, because you end up getting yourself in trouble. So you you, you find you find a way of coping, Mm. and and how you cope with those situations get you ready for things like those difficult moments in football. Those. adverse times where you you're in, a, you're in a hole and you've got to find your way out and that's when you sort of pull on those experiences of you can do this, I can do this and when things, when the going gets tough or things get on top of you in, in a game it, you probably call on those things, they're probably things that I'm conscious how that's developed you into the person you are today, I, I'm not the expert to talk about that but I understand um, when I've been in difficult times how I've found that strength that inner strength and that inner belief to to keep going because it's if (laughs) they do say what don't kill you makes you stronger
1: what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify Go to Shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
2: Catch those springtime vibes all
1: over Arizona.
2: Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret. And visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. I, I don't even think it's that extreme. I just think it's more of whatever you, whatever you need to do here, get it done. Because it, it's not about life or death. Mm. So, so it, I think you draw on things that come from within you and you, a lot of your own experiences. But then I think in, in, in programs, you can make it challenging you can make it easy for people who... Sh- you can make it easy, then you've got to make it sort of challenging and you've got to make it super tough so people find those different experiences and stuff. I think it's like when players play up. Sometimes players play up because the level they're playing at is not... Is, is too easy for them, so there's, there's there's not that much developing. But then you push them up that they have a, have a problem and have to sort of work things out. And that's, that's the purpose of players playing up, to sort of help their development and stimulate them to be even better to overcome stronger things. So, you know, I think the mindset's a big part of it. And I think it's a big part of the game that has developed, you know, since EPP came out. They, they look at that. There's a lot of clubs with the uh, sports psychologists and stuff like that. That's become more prominent in the game, in sport in general. I won't just say in, in, in football. And I think that's because that's the one piece that controls all the other pieces. That's the key part. Standing um you know the the mechanics to to learn new technical stuff it all comes from the brain so that's that for me is why that's the key part where if you get that mindset right and the resilience and the the, all the mental resilience and um you know the drive the performance it all comes it all comes from within and that's why i think that's the key thing to modern football
0: you know, it's an, it's a bit of a hot topic right now especially in football um you know given the number of incidents that've taken place recently the whole black lives matter thing that took place last year and after the killing of george george floyd just curious to know from your perspective and you know what are your thoughts on the underrepresentation of um well, of black and asian coaches more specifically in the game today um cause, you know we do start to see more people from the black and asian community specifically in the other in the other departments whether that be uh, the sports scientists, the strength and conditioning, uh, physio, the medical departments, all the other departments seem to be, you know, quite diverse and inclusive to an extent. But when we come to that coaching space, it's almost, yeah, there's just a different type of barrier there. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it's funny you should say that. I mean, I transitioned out of um, playing into coaching. Uh, I was coaching before I finished playing and did did my badges. So I, I, I knew... Um, I knew there was a there wasn't many black managers or black coaches out there in the professional game when I retired which was 2004 um, there's there, there's slightly more but I suppose there's slightly more now but if you think what well, since I retired 2004 16, 17 years I don't think the numbers have grown as much as I thought it would do to be honest um, you know what I, what I do know is that from from a, from just, just London alone, the amount of kids who come out of grassroots, who have worked in little in grassroots teams or little academies, you know, those coaches have taken those players to a level. So, so the ability to coach is is, is clearly there. How how we how those coaches then um, transition into the professional game? I, I think there needs to be more of a gateway. I, I see there's some some bami coaching schemes and stuff like that. I know. It's, there's a big debate at the moment about the word "bammy." I'm not sure everyone's happy with that word. To be honest, it should just be a coaching scheme. You shouldn't you shouldn't identify people um, through their race or colour of their skin or creed or whatever as a, as a coaching scheme. They're a coach, simple as. It's not about coaching's coaching. A coach is a coach. It's not about what where they're from or or the colour of their skin or anything like that. There should be a coaching opportunity, scholarship, bursa. Call it what you want, but that's what that's how I see it. it what it should be. But I I think there should be more opportunities. I think that can be helped. You can grow the pool of coaches and and allow um, coaches from uh, black, Asian, all the various communities. Um, I I think you've got to make it accessible. You've got to make it accessible so the courses are not, people can't afford them. You know, to do your B license is a lot of money nowadays, but that makes it so, it's a bit elitist because actually people can't afford that. Young coaches trying to get in the game can't afford that. Uh, people from you know, disadvantaged backgrounds, where, where's the provision for them? There needs to be provision provided, whether it's bursaries or whatever, so they can go and do these courses. So, so for me, yeah, the numbers are not where they should be. But I, I would like to think that the amount of money in the game, there needs to be some sort of consideration as to how they're going to overcome that. I, I, I don't know the answers to that, but you know, I'd like to think as a group of people we can come up with some ideas that we can actually present and and put on the table as to, you know, whether these, these ideas could be possible because yeah, we do need to get those numbers up and it isn't about, it isn't just about, um, it's about people who want to be coaches getting that, having a fair opportunity to do it. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, there's not enough black coaches, but actually let's, let's, let's make it, let's make it accessible to those especially some of those who, who spend hours and hours working with young kids on parks you know public pitches or, or astroturfs in, in in various areas keeping them out of trouble you know they should be rewarded for that because actually it's not that's not just about coaching that's life coaching that's mentoring that's there's a lot going on there and you know those people have a lot to offer in professional clubs if they get given an opportunity
0: Oh, you make some great points. Then I think you know one of the key things I'll, t- I'll touch on there. know, obviously, you're working at Arsenal, probably one of the pioneers um, alongside a couple of other clubs such as Fulham, maybe Wolverhampton Wanderers, in actually, uh, I guess, leading by example in some ways in, in creating a diverse and inclusive workforce um, both across the talent the talent ID space and obviously the coaching space. So, I guess, it, it, do you see that? You know, my opinion is this, that obviously the, the dynamic or the demographic of the, of, the, of the type of people that are coming through, certainly as players, is changing over the lot, has changed over recent years and is, I think will continue to change. Um, we'll start to see more and more people from different backgrounds, in, you know, at the elite level, um, not just at the top end of the youth programmes, but obviously in, in the Premier League and, and wherever else in the professional games, it is getting more universal, certainly in England. Um, and obviously some clubs are now pushing to have, a, I guess, a workforce which reflects that. How Just how important do you think it is then um, to have that? And, you know, because I, I I think, for me, there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. For me, yeah. diversity is this this whole element of, right, we need to get one person from here, a person from there, a person that fits this group, a person that fits that group, and just tick a box, whereas inclusion is the bit, I think, we really need to kind of look at tackling not just as individuals, but as a community within the game, that inclusive bit. So it's not just a case of, right, I've got Steve Browning because he's from so-and-so place, or I've got, you know, so whoever whoever that may be. It's actually, no, I've brought Steve Browning because I can recognise what he can bring to this environment. He's the best person for the job. You know, what are your thoughts in terms of how we shift uh, the culture and the dynamic of people's behaviours and attitudes from that part where we're looking at ticking boxes, which is, for, I think, for a lot of people, and I've certainly felt, I've felt the experience myself where I felt like I was being brought in for an interview or, or whatnot because it was ticking a box.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand that, and I, 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 I totally get it. I totally get it, and, and I've probably been in that situation several times myself. But, but for me, you know, diversity isn't just about someone from a different background. It's about their values. It's about them as a person. And actually... It's about the skill set they bring. A real, some what, what people don't understand when, when people talk about diversity, they probably just think about it from people from different backgrounds. That is, that's where the ignorance is rife in my eyes, because actually it's about what an individual from any background brings. And that skill set, that's what diversifies them because they've had experiences of lots of things, not just the life skills of growing up in an area or community or being able to talk to people uh, from their community or have access to the key stakeholders in their community. It's about what they bring as a person an individual as well. So, so you know, we, we look at it from the perspective that um, on a, just even just on a numbers perspective, there are so many different communities in London, so, so many. And it's growing. It probably won't grow as much now because of Brexit, um, but, but it has grown. You know, you've got, you've got Brazilian, Spanish, Portuguese, Turkish, Asian... Uh, west africans east Africa, just just so many communities but if, if I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that i have all the skills to go and talk to those key stakeholders in those different communities i know the asian communities the 80s football never welcomed the asians you know asian people just didn't go to football matches you know so if you go back and you go back 20 years or in the 80s or in the 70s just look at the crowds forget the game going on look at the crowds it was the majority of it was white people it was predominantly white people and, and not saying and what i'm saying is is like the game the game's changed now from the perspective of more people go but actually some there's there's some communities who don't who won't engage in football because actually as much as their kids want to play and and, and love it because that's the the world they've grown up in now it's about us having the right people a, a real diverse workforce that can now start to engage with those communities. And it's not about taking, it's not about us going into those communities and taking the best kids or the best players. It's actually, it's about us building a building and collaborating with them and, and, you know, inviting, getting that community to see football differently. Getting them to see football is something where they can come and enjoy and their kids can, and the, the whole community thing that Arsenal do around London stuff like, I think that's that's what needs to happen. And that's why we have, you know, difference for us, it's about having a workforce that can actually we can sit down and think about strategies. How can we engage with the different communities? How can we, how can we get someone in the community to come and be part of what we're doing? You know, it's not just about us going in there, it's about actually, can they come and do they are they interested in coming to work for us? Are they coming to interested in coming to be a part of our our academy and and, and being that that um, that individual that sort of educates his community or their or her community around around arsenal football club and as well as you know the better players having an opportunity to come in and play and actually feel they can come into the the academy and and have a career but but it, i don't think this this is something that we're going to do this in in 2 years we're going to do this in 5 years this is a big long term project this is over this might this might still this might not come to fruition for us where the community and the club are such a um, have integrated so well that that it's just this might be in 10 15 i might be long gone from Arsenal when this really comes to fruition but the fact that we're tackling it and we're on that road you know and and want people from from all different communities to, to be part of what we're doing I think that I think we're stepping out on the right footing.
0: So, I think they're definitely, you know, your sweat on there. There's a lot of initiatives and a lot of things in place now to kind of, I guess, tackle some of these issues. I kind of just want to bring you back to obviously your role now. For somebody who's in you know, the lead talent ID coordinator at Category One, you know, quite an established uh, academy, you know, brought some fantastic talents over the years and still continues to do so. What does it take to come through at Cat One at that sort of level? And what are the key considerations that I guess people should be making when looking at I guess uh, putting together a program or, or a recruitment strategy at that sort of at that sort of level?
2: So uh, I think you, you've got to start with the profile of the the key things of, of the basics of the player. I mean, we have the we have the four pillars at Arsenal, which are um, efficient mover, um, effective team player, uh, champion mentality, and lifelong learner. And the lifelong learner. Bit, I think I think it's the important part because actually you know it's about they generally say that people who are um quite uh what's the word diligent around learning things and at school their education generally are the ones who can take that information on board mm-hmm. and apply it and, and and challenge themselves so so from, from the life learning lifelong learning bit that, that that's the important part The champion mentality is is what we spoke about earlier, the resilience in adverse times. Can they dig deep and actually they stay on task? And that looks different at different ages. Um, The the effective team player is is being able to sort of play the game uh, in their position and actually understand the game. When we're transitioning, where the strengths are, uh, counter-attacking, What's the, how are we looking to counter attack and just stuff like that? And then obviously, the efficient move is, is, is an athlete basically, basically a real good athlete who can you know, good speed, good agility, uh, jumping power, and, and things like that. So, but you know, across those, that's that's how we sort of measure the player. And those players who not just stand out, we we look at you know the the late developers as well, those with all the potential. Those who just are trying to do the right things in, in 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 the football actions, as well as even if it's not successful, but they saw the right pictures, they just might not be at the the level of the of their development in their body to be able to to execute it. So as long as you can see those intentions, that's that's what we stay on. That that's what we sort of recruit on. To be honest,
0: mm. and I, you know, obviously looking there. Correct me if i'm wrong we're looking that's looking more at the top end of the, of the program um you know when we look at you know obviously clubs are becoming more uh, well over the last maybe 10 or so years especially since E4P's come in there's been a lot you know an influx of all these pre-academies and advanced development centers and whatnot where kids seem to be pick, getting picked up at younger and younger ages what what are your thoughts on on that and you know can, h- how early can you tell whether someone's got some potential or not
2: um, I think every child has has potential at that age, and it's, I, I must say, in the last, in my first year at Arsenal, I've spent the majority of my time down at the foundation phase and and the pre academy because I've learned so much. I've I've not spent a lot of time down there in my career, so I needed to be down there. I needed to go down there and learn about it and understand it. And you know, there's a lot of football uh, fun that goes on down there, and and some some really good stuff. But I was amazed. I was amazed at the ability of some of the kids mm. at six and seven, that what they can do technically with the ball. I have not really been down there and seen that, but I am amazed. So so those who those kids who probably parents who haven't kicking a ball at three, four that early, by the time they get to five, six or seven, there's their technical abilities with a ball is very, very good. So mm. you're basically going on that. Mm. And hoping that they that that development continues and in the club we we continue to develop it and, he, and and we sort of go from there. But you know they do hit that stage that period when they get to about between twelve and fifteen when they go through that puberty and and that change and that that impacts them differently. But um, no, but from the pre-academies uh, level, it's it's definitely how they manage uh, ball mastery and stuff like that because that's a big part of it and that's so visible that some of them are so good at it as well. Mm.
0: Is it almost that approach where you know I've heard a lot of people speak in the past, especially when it comes to recruitment? You know, well, let's get let's get someone who's good at the football stuff, and we can teach you the rest. We can coach you to become a better mover at the ball. You know, I guess off the ball, we can coach you on your movement patterns, especially when it comes to a young age in the foundation stage players, where it is literally you could be doing different sort of exercises around.
2: Yeah, you could. I always I'm a great believer at that age. Just play as much sport as you can. Mm. Kids go and play different sports because different sports are going to give you different sort of skills. You know, i mean, growing up as a kid. We played cricket, we played rugby, we played rounders, we played lots of different sports. That you, you're going to get some sort of physical return in, in in all of those sports, and you know, different movement patterns and stuff like that. So, you know, I think I would encourage. I wouldn't early specialization. i I think it. I think data tells us that that's not the way forward. So when they're that young, just just keep them playing as much sport, staying active as they, as they possibly can.
0: hundred percent. You know, and you, you share a lot of insights around from the recruitment perspective. And I think it's really good for us to kind of get that on here because a lot of the people that we do speak to are either potential coaches, current or ex, or more specifically, current or ex-athletes, uh, not just in the football industry, but different industries. So I think, you know, it'd be interesting because a lot of us, we do come into this game because of the passion we have for it. Uh, but maybe people don't quite understand that there is more than one pathway to kind of end up with. I think the natural pathway for a lot of us is, oh, well, we, we, we're not players, so let's go into coaching. But, you know, speaking to people like yourself and other people that I've had the conversations with, I think it's given an opportunity for people to maybe understand different pathways. So I guess on that note, you know, what what does the pathway look like in terms of someone getting into the talent ID space and the recruitment space?
2: Listen, if, if you're involved in football and that... I, I, I... We want to, we want to grow the department and and we're Lee, Lee heron who's the head of the department Lee's all about giving people opportunity you know because actually if you are from if you're not around football and you don't know how to get into it you know we're open for business if people want to become um, you know part of a talent ID team let's have a conversation I'm I'm not the doors open for business and I think that's important because as I said around our diversity if you're from a a different community, and and you feel that you can uh, be a um, a good member of staff for for the academy and the recruitment department, you know, let's have a conversation. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy for people to come and learn. I'm happy to mentor people. I'm happy to help people. You know, I'm not going to be around forever, but if I can pass on a lot of my knowledge and skills to others who want to break into the game and have have a career in recruitment or even, you know, seeing what it's like, with young players developing from a, across the pathway. And, you know, being a scout, you'd have access to, the, to, to seeing the games and, and seeing the levels and stuff like that. that you know, that's, that's a great way of sort of learning. You'll see and learn lots of stuff. We do lots of CPD. I mean, currently, because of no games, we do weekly CPD with all the scouts, 40-odd scouts online, and we do lots of different things, um, sort of lots of different tasks, and they do report writing. We help them with all that sort of stuff. And it's just a, it's just a it's just there's a lot of learning that goes on. People think you just rock up and watch a game and phone someone up and get no, it's far more detailed than mm. that. Mm. Far greater than that.
0: And just on that, then you know, obviously from it, you know, just to kind of delve a little bit more deeper and to provide a bit more insight for some of the listeners. When you're now looking at from a recruitment, you're gonna watch a game um as part of the recruitment generally you're obviously looking to bring players in. But what does that process look like when you're observing the game? Are you specifically looking at players? Are you looking at um, how certain teams play and how much of it how much of an opposition?
2: I think it comes back. Into that? Yeah, I think it comes back to the question of why are you there? Are you there to just have a general watch and see if a player jumps out? Are you there to watch a specific player? Are you there just to watch the game and report on that team? So it's about understanding why you're going to that game. And if it's about um, a player, you'll go there, you watch that player you'll write your report um, in a detailed way where we've got a template that that it fits into. Mm. And that template, that, temp- that um, report would be uploaded online, which would then be seen by the lead coordinator of that phase. Um, and then, you know, you know, loads of games, all that information on different players collate, and then we sort of, the process really starts from there. Mm. Whether they're good enough, whether we're going to try and bring them in, are they going to go into a development center are they going to come into the academy? Um, that decision is made around the views of the scouts. but you know we're very much um, a, 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 an academy or a department that actually it, we we look we look at players a lot of times, multiple multiple times. sometimes there might be a reason that we need to get them in quickly we we we've got uh, processes that can make that happen as well. so. You know, there's. It can be one where we take a long term look at someone over a period of time and make our mind up, or it can be something where we we need to move quickly. We, we move quickly.
0: You mm. know, kind of just um, just as we kind of look to what, wind down, and, and I've got quite last few questions really. And the first one is for you now. Obviously, having had a range of experiences through the different roles, both as a coach, as a player, now working the recruitment space, and even as a coach developer at some point, what are, you know, if you could kind of go back towards the beginning of your journey, I want to come back to that initial point where you ripped up that contract in Northampton. Knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently? Is there any messages that you might want to give yourself back then with all the information and knowledge you have now?
2: No, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change um, the ripping up of the contract because I think that wasn't, I wasn't going to get a fair opportunity and I knew that. And I could have stayed in there, which could have just ended up at, as a horrific situation, so I removed myself from that situation. But whilst removing myself, I went into the big outside world and I grew up. Mm. I grew up as a person. So when the opportunity came to go back to Northampton with the same manager, I knew he was never going to get the better of me. He was never going to have that opportunity to be like that with me again because I was a different person.
0: Mm. Well, so what would you say is the biggest thing that you know those experiences? like that have taught you
2: it's taught me to understand myself um don't get angry i was during my career as a player i was a hothead i was i was a definite hothead um i used to get angry i used to get sent off a lot um but i i was fighting the world i was an angry man who was fighting the world and, and with racism being at the forefront of that mm. so i grew up i matured it was a. Uh, I sort of um, I learned to skin the cat differently, so to speak. Um, when different situations came, I, I, I would think about them and I would, I, I would manage them in the best way I could. And I learned a lot. I learned by going on lots of courses outside of after I got my A license. I went on lots of management courses, leadership courses, loads of stuff like that, and learned. I just I just kept learning. Mm. And my sister was in the police force for thirty years, so she was always a great sounding board because racism was rife in the police force then. So she, and she, she rose up despite that. She had a very successful career despite that. So she was a good sound board. So, you know, I used to talk to her about loads of things and, and I, I just found learning was, was something that. No one, nothing, no one was going to take that away from me because as a, as a black person, um, I knew there weren't many black managers. I knew there weren't many black coaches. I knew I had to have more and way above anyone else to to, to to get where I wanted to go. Hmm. So I, I chased I chased qualifications, I chased badges, I chased whatever there was. So you know if I looked at my CV, I've probably got there's not much more I can really do. Yeah. But that's a better position to sit from to sit in and when you apply for a job be pretty comfortable that you you know you're going to get an interview. And that might sound a bit arrogant i'm not i'm just
0: an element of self-confidence and i think you have self-belief in that you can achieve i'm I'm curious to kind of go back to something you just said a minute ago though you you talked about skinning the cat in a different way in the process of kind of getting to that stage where you eventually were able to do that was there particular questions that you were asking of yourself more from a self-reflective or you know developing more self-awareness perspective
2: yeah, and, and an emotional intelligence um, just just from the perspective of um, dealing with people mm. who who you knew didn't favour you, didn't like you, would would want to turn you over at the first chance, would want to get you out of football club at any opportunity. Mm. How you dealt with those people and how you managed yourself, you, you had to be pretty clever. You had to you had to learn those skills and. You know, if I if if I had to pick one animal that reflects my whole career to this day, I'd be a chameleon because you have to be different in different environments.
0: Mm.
2: I'm not saying you can't be yourself, but when you walk into a room, you've got to quickly get the feel of that room and the people in that room, and then off you go. Be yourself.
0: Mm. No, I think you make a great point here. It? It's about just almost without i guess compromising yourself too too much it's almost being able to blend in and be flexible and adaptable regardless of the environment that you're in so i'm just conscious now then you know again you've had a relatively long career in the game already but in various different capacities you know if you had if you had some messages to kind of leave with our listeners and our and our viewers on if you like some tips or or, or key success in in the industry what would those be
2: I would say, just always believe in yourself. If you know what your dream is, chase it. And it's not linear. It ain't going to be in a straight line. Just chase it and get what you need to get. And, and and listen, pick the phone up, speak to people. You might know someone who knows of someone that can help you. Just, just you know, I'm always happy to help people. I'm always happy to give people my time and, and share my time and my thoughts and my experiences with people. Because actually, you know, as I said, I don't want to, I don't want to leave the game with with all that experience having not helped anybody so I'm always happy to help people and give them my my thoughts and my knowledge um, I just 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 don't don't lose sight of your dream
0: mm.
2: you know I remember being at some clubs where I, you know when I was a player some man some managers destroyed players, just destroyed them and actually and I I you say to them don't let him, don't let them steal your dream. you knew what you wanted to be, so just tough it out. Mm tough it out or just think about it or just, if you've got to go somewhere else to, to, to do it, go somewhere else, but don't, don't let people steal your dreams. Mm. I'm a big one on that chase, chase your dreams, whatever it costs, chase them. Because when you get there, it's what you've always wanted.
0: hundred percent. It's always, it's always worth it. And I think, you know, going through an experience, and looking back on it, it's only, it's only by going through it you can actually then look back and connect the dots and see how why certain things were useful and why certain things were best left untouched. In some, if you get what I mean.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's like I I think it was um, I think it was when I first got the Arsenal job. I remember driving home and I was thinking, God, how have I got here? How have I got here? And Arsenal, fantastic club, and I'm so proud to. To, to work there and it was like the FA when, when I first started there how have I got there mm. but you know sometimes you know you, you just get on with things and you don't you don't you don't stop to reflect you just keep going because you, you're driven and you want to get there but yeah you know like now it's like I do I I do reflect a lot because I do I, I didn't I didn't enjoy the journey but where I am now I, I, I've enjoyed I enjoy where I am now because so I think I've I can I can get my head up and, and enjoy the journey and look back. I mean, you know, doing stuff like this yes, sir, is 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 really good for me because it helps me reflect and it sort of brings that stuff to the to the forefront of how hard I've worked and how how many things I've had to overcome. But but I say overcome. I've just there's never been an obstacle for me. There's something I've just think someone's put that in the way. I'm just going to get over it. I'm going to go around it. I'm going to go through it, and, and that's just. When you're driven and focused that's what you've got to do you got to you to you got to stay focused to to um to your dream
0: 100 i think you know right, right right before you know you talked there about sharing your experiences lending your experience to others and being able to utilize uh, that platform while you can So, kind of just on you know on that note as we look to kind of wind down Adam, if there was any listeners or viewers that kind of wanted to kind of get in touch with you and maybe speak further about some of the things that we've discussed in this conversation or maybe even beyond and potentially looking at avenues to get into the recruitment world. Is there somewhere they can get in touch with you to do that?
2: Yeah. you can If you want to put my email, my email on there, brownsteve30 at gmail.com. Happy to go on a Zoom pool with people and have a conversation. I'm always happy to support people and help people. So, you know, it's, it's great for me to to mentor people and help them get where they want to go because um, it doesn't cost anything. And actually it's, 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 um, people always remember how you made them feel and I think that's important. I I, I can look back now and so many people have helped me get to where I've got to and I always thank them for that so it's important that I give that back as well.
0: 100% and I can definitely echo that and you're just kind of on that final note then, you know, just um, by you being with me having this conversation, you've made yourself part of the Coaches Network. Um, Whilst it is called the Coaches Network, it's not specifically set for coaches, it just happens to be the way it is. So I guess... You know, the the one question I do have now then is you talk about people, remember how you made them feel. What's that feeling that you want people to be left with when they've come into contact with you?
2: Uh, Somebody who made them smile, made them feel good about themselves and gave them, they left with something they didn't have when they came to me.
0: Excellent. But look, Steve, it's, it's been a fascinating conversation for me and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of listeners that you know, resonate with some of the things you've discussed um, and potentially look to get in touch with beyond it. I um, just want to thank you again for your time today. Um, really appreciate it and hope, you know, I wish you all the best in your career, but thank you again. Thanks, yes, sir. Keep in touch. Definitely. Well, There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Network. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.